And this is why Tiger Woods keeps working. This is why Warren Buffett keeps working. It's why Richard Branson keeps working. The only way in which businesses or people will become successful and truly perform to their optimum is an amazing question. It's probably the best question I've ever been asked. Jamil, thank you for joining me today. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you here so early in the morning. I... I typically on this podcast will won't introduce people because um, I, I'll do a little bit of a pre-introduction. But your your background and the work you've done, specifically with high performance people and successful people, is so compelling and fascinating that I feel like I want you to introduce yourself. And I read through your <laughs> bio multiple times; it was deeply inspiring. And uh, I think without an introduction, everything we talk about from here, without the perfect introduction, which I feel like only you'll give, everything we talk about from here on um, might not have the co- the context it needs to have. So, who is Jamil Krejci? Uh, I'm a performance coach and psychologist. So I've sort of spent my time working with some very good sports teams, some very good business teams. Um, being humble, aren't you? (laughs) Some some successful people. And I guess what I do is I help people cultivate a mindset for success. Mm -hmm. So I always say that for us to act differently, we need to think differently. So we're going to create different behaviours, different actions. It's about creating different thoughts first. Mm. So I I guess what I do more than anything else is help people change their mind. Mm. So um, I always say there's new new opportunities, new possibilities that will come from new perspectives. So a lot of my time is spent working with people, not to give them new skills, but more to allow them to understand the skills that they've already got and then create a perspective for them to use it differently. So um, as a performance coach, I think everyone can be better. Everyone can perform better. It's just a matter of, I guess, trying to create the mindset, the attitude, um, I guess some of the precursors to those to the performance which are which are beneficiary to which have benefit to them. And so you said that everybody has the skills. And I, 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 you know, I, I see that in a lot of my friends. I see that they have a lot more sort of um, natural capabilities than they've managed to sort of give the world through their actions. If someone has an ambition to be something, if they have the ambition to be, you know, a sports uh, star. I know you've worked with a lot of athletes and you've worked with business people or they want to start a business. What you tend to see and what I tend to see in my inbox is a lot of people with intention but there seems to be something preventing that intention from turning into action or like behavior. Yeah, into an achievement. Yeah. 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 And I think that, you know, turning ambition into achievement is the key because, you know, most people will have good intentions. Most people will be wishing and hoping to be better. But there's a big difference between wishing and hoping and believing and executing upon it. So I think that the people who genuinely execute on it, probably want it more for a start Mm. and that's the key no one's ever wandered around the bottom of a mountain and then simply found themselves at the top Mm. it does take that determination the resilience it does take the ability to execute upon ideas to drive success Mm. so i think the key is the desire which is fueled by having a purpose a mission a vision towards what that end goal should look like a lot of people um can't quite uh, they say one thing they say that their their purpose is to go to the gym. Yeah, for example, we all say one thing and do the other. <laughs> yeah, and why and why is that? Yeah. Like because it's ha- yeah. sometimes hard to distinguish with someone whether that's their real yeah. sort of desire or whether they're kind of like virtue signaling to themselves yeah. that they want to be something or you know they want to start that business or become an entrepreneur or be you know get a six pack, but then their actions show that quite a different story. So. I always wonder that with my some of my friends. I always think, are they do they actually want that, or yeah. are they just? It's very easy to say that this is what I'm after, and much harder to do it. And I think one of the reasons why is because um, we have to invest, we self invest. So we probably want these um, uh, kids at school who are great footballers at fourteen, fifteen. You think, you know what? They're going to make it. They're just brilliant. They're going to make it. Um, or great track athletes at twelve. You know, and you just think they're special. But they don't make it. And the reason why they don't make it is they don't self-invest. So the people who make it are the ones who um, will get up on a rainy Friday morning, get up on a rainy Saturday morning to go and practice whilst their mates are in bed. The ones who will practice on a Friday night when their mates are out drinking. Mm. Um, And so talent is not enough. You need talent plus teachability. So talent plus the ability to be open-minded, agile in our thinking, to commit to practice and turn that practice into something which develops our talent even further. Mm. So 
there's lots of people with talent in business, lots of people with talent in sport. Um, but I guess that we need to be open minded enough to invest in how we practice our talent to become successful. So, you know, there's no, there's no substitute for practice. You know, I get lots of golfers who say to me that, yeah, can you make me better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, the number one golfer in the world will practice more than any, any amateur, you know, and you know, there lies the truth, but you know, we need to, we need to apply ourselves in a particular manner. And so we need to be practical about how we exercise our talent You create good feedback loops to understand what we're doing, mm-hmm. gain better personal introspection and self-awareness to allow us to use our talents differently. How do you give someone that purpose though? Like I'm trying to think like, so we know, we know practice is like so incredibly important to master something, but my, I guess my question is, um, how, how would you give someone that motivation? Cause I, 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 I guess you, you can't give someone purpose. A lot of us spend so much of our lives trying to, to motivate people, right? To motivate friends, families, you know, siblings, whatever it might be. Um, and I'm wondering if there's a thing we can do as like loving friends or whatever to, to give someone that kick. Yeah. So I mean, a couple of points, I guess, on that. In regard to discovering purpose, um, it can't be done for someone. So I always say purpose is never achieved. It's attained on a daily basis. So the mistake that people make with purpose is they confuse it with an end goal. So here's my purpose. And they have this vision statement of what they're seeking to, you know, um, achieve or create, whatever it might be. And they get practical and tangible about it. But purpose isn't that. Purpose is achieved on a daily basis. That, um, sorry, so purpose is never achieved. It's attained on a daily basis. And this is why Tiger Woods keeps working. This is why Warren Buffett keeps working. It's why Richard Branson keeps working. It's because it's a never achieved, it's attained on a daily basis. So I think that, you know, we need to find something which is purposeful to us. Um, and then we need to lose ourselves to it on a regular basis. So once we start to um, become more purpose driven and express ourselves in a particular way, I would say being a good colleague, being a good business leader, being a good sports person is not seeking to impress. It's about seeking to express and be ourselves in the context of our work. So once people People can find that um, uh, within themselves. Um, then I think they can direct their energy and their focus in a particular way and become much more purpose-driven in how they go about their daily activities. Mm. But you can't give someone that purpose. It has to be theirs. Uh, and I think life is about timing. I think some people find that very late. Some people find that very early. And, um, and it makes no difference. We're all individuals. In regard to helping other people make change, we're almost too quick to go towards behaviours. So we tell people to be different all the time. Tell our team members, you should be more collaborative, guys. And tell guys, you need to be more innovative. And tell our children to keep their rooms tidy. So we're constantly talking to people about behaviours. Say to our friends that you should give up smoking or eat healthier, whatever it might be. The only way in which you change actions is by changing thoughts. So we think and then we feel and then we act. That's how we work. So if you're constantly working on actions, we're telling people to be different. And this is why New Year's resolutions fail. From tomorrow, I'll be different. (laughs) Start doing this. I'm going to stop doing that. And we start talking about actions and behaviors. Um, We need to go back to the... um, and to the precursor of all our actions, which is our thoughts. So the only way in which you genuinely drive commitment rather than compliance when it comes to change in your team, in your friends, you know, in yourself, is by changing the words and pictures in your head or their head to drive different feelings and then different actions. There's, um, uh, there's a little tip which I sometimes give leaders. And I say to leaders, never say to your team, you're going to make a change. You say to your team, you're going to make a change, they won't like it. Um, say to your team, I'd like to try an experiment. They'll all, they'll all be on board with it. And um, we'll give that a go. That's okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, so even just a difference in language to allow someone to think differently or make them feel differently and hopefully therefore choose to act in a different manner. And how, how would I get someone to change their thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, have you got anyone in, in mind? I have. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I think um, I think the best way is gamification. Um, what holds people in place is what they believe to be true, and then so um, so people will sit around a boardroom table. And I'll discuss strategy and I'll say, you know, well, look, you know, we can do this, but we can't do that. And they'll have a viewpoint on budgets, on consumer buying behaviors, on, on compliance and governance. And that's what holds us in place. So what we need to do is break free of some of the parameters that we think are in the way. So if we got people around a boardroom table and say, look, guys, let's just this strategy 
piece that we're going to talk about. Let's imagine we've got an unlimited marketing budget for it. If we had an unlimited marketing budget for it, I know we haven't, but if we had, what would we be doing? How would we be doing it? Um, you know, if we had no marketing budget, what would we be doing? Now, what we're doing here is that we are helping people to move outside of the mental tram lines that we all operate under and um, the habitual thinking. So, Let's ask some what if questions. And, um, can you imagine that, you know, a, a life if you weren't smoking? Mm. And, um, what would it look like? And, um, what would you be doing today if you weren't smoking? What would you spend your money on that you save on cigarettes? And, um, just play the game of what if. So let's break free of some of the things which are holding people in place by, um, not by conflict, not by arguing and, and debate in a confrontational manner, but finding some common ground and working from there. And the common ground is let's play a game. And you, you, you said there, you know, about people finding that purpose um, in their lives. Uh, you, we hear this uh, phrase um, a lot, which is find your passion. Yeah. And I almost feel that it's, it's in many respects quite harmful because it, that question is kind of loaded. It, it assumes a singular passion for a start. It assumes yeah. that you can discover it like an Easter egg. And then, and also um, the, the context in which that question usually sits in, it implies that once you find it, then it's you know then it's the 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 it's a can of unlimited like happiness and orientation forever and yep. then that's yours and it, it i just feel like sometimes language can be harmful because it it simplifies very complex things and sometimes multifaceted plural things you know so i wondered if that you know, that phrase uh, find your pa- find your passion was something you um you felt similar about or you yeah. <laughs> yeah i do i mean yeah it's true that passion can be a significant multiplier of human potential mm. so you know if people are passionate and engaged in a business they can direct their energy in a in a worthwhile and meaningful manner so 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 it's it's worthwhile but you're right at um uh, that you know there's a big difference between passion a big difference between happiness and joy um some are in the moment and um, I think joy is in the moment. And I think happiness is something um, that we continually, continually adjust towards. Um, you know, passion can be a significant multiplier of human potential, particularly in the workplace. So it does have a place. It is something which is useful to understand. And then ultimately, it always comes down to personal introspection and self-awareness for me. And I think that um, we need to work harder at understanding ourselves. And when we are constructing a mindset which is conducive to performance, so we optimize our potential when we're in a particular state of mind. And that state of mind might be passion, it might be relaxation, it might be enthusiasm, it might be enjoyment. But we need to almost get to know ourselves and know that um, there are certain things which enable us to do others. At, uh, and once we work backwards and understand what that looks like, maybe we can gain some more consistency. I say to a lot of sports people and to a lot of business people that consistency of mind gives you consistency of play. And I'm convinced of it. And you know, the more consistent we can be in our thinking, we understand um, the building blocks, the component parts to success, you know, the more success we can have. And how does one establish consistency of thought? Because um, I completely agree with that. I completely agree. I've seen that in my own life. When I've been consistent with my thinking, I've managed to, you know, uh, perform the same habits every day. Oh. Um, but then sometimes I'll lose consistency in my thoughts because I lose, um, I lose, I guess I lose attachment or sort of my anchor with my my why. Yeah. And I, I talk a lot, I've talked a lot on this podcast over the last couple of weeks about this realization I've had this year with the gym, which was every year, February, March, I was incredibly motivated to go, fired up, trying to look right. good for summer. Yeah. And then obviously once you look good and summer has ended, it's almost like you've lost your anchor, right? So like yes. you get into September and the why which made you go and to think consistently every day has bit has evaporated and I'm try- I can't get myself to go to the gym in October. <laughs> like, right. You look in great shape for it. This was the year I re- <laughs> this is the year I realized. So this was right. the year I realized and okay. this is the year I bucked the trend for the first time in my life okay. because I realized that I thought to myself every single year I I I do it for this period and then I stop. And they're two different people. August Steve and October Steve don't know each other. They're like, you know what I mean? They're like twins yeah. that were separated at birth. And so this was the year where I realized what I was doing and why I was losing my motivation. So I thought, fuck it, you know, I'm going to anchor my why to something a bit more uh, long term and without a timeline. So I said to myself, listen, I persuaded myself of all the reasons why I want to be healthy 
and view my life as one season. And that's what's allowed me to persevere. And also okay. I, I got a bit pissed off with myself. I thought, you're really like that, like, weak? like <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like you're that vain yeah. and you're like, you know, but so. Yeah. yeah. Do you know, I mean, I always think that consistency of mind comes from understanding the intrinsic quality of our decision-making processes. Mm. And I say that a lot to people in sport and in business. So you, know, you can make a good decision and have a really bad outcome. You can make a bad decision and have a good outcome. And this is why I've worked with leadership teams who have confused luck for genius. Mm. Made a really bad decision, got a great outcome. You know, yeah. Markets have changed, competition's done something, oh, yeah. something's just worked in their favour. Um, so, um, so it's really important for us to not judge our decision-making by our outcomes. And we often do. So we'll say, this is a good decision because it resulted in this, or this is a bad decision, it resulted in that. Um, and we can only understand the outcome retrospectively. So it's wrong to measure our decisions by the outcomes. And then we need to go back to how we made a decision in the first place. And once we start to understand the intrinsic quality of our decision-making process, we can become more consistent in how we make decisions mm. and therefore have more control over those outcomes. So I think that, you know, two things. I, I think that, and I will use you as the example Please. here, Steve, <laughs> that, um, that consistency of mind will come from knowing how we make decisions. I mm. understand that we put a, um, our weight into evidence, how much we use prejudice and bias and opinion, whatever it might be, but let's understand how we make decisions. And in that way, we can be consistent in um, how we apply our logic and thinking and feeling try and determine some best outcomes and then the other thing at um as you've just positioned is reframing at um let's stand back and create some time and space to understand at um you know why we do things and why we don't do things now i always say that um the people who are most successful and i've had a pleasure of working with six sports people who got to number one in the world and i can guarantee you the one thing they had in common was that um um they um, they never made big changes and um, it was small changes so I'm a big big believer in the one degree of change if you take two parallel lines and you move one by one degree it may not seem much at first but it's a really big difference between where you start and where you end up mm. so um, everyone's trying to you know make a dramatic change I see change from tomorrow I'm going to be different I think it's about doing something a little bit more than what we've been doing it at and a bit more consistently and then the other thing with these people who obtained you know what I call um, super achievements and um, so they did really really well um, is that they actually worked on their strengths they started to understand what was good about them and do that some more so we think to be better as human beings and to be better as a business or a team of people we need to fix our weaknesses um, I'm not sure that's true I actually think it's more about understanding our strengths and playing to them so um, I've actually worked with teams before in business and in sport who have actually weakened the strength by trying to strengthen a weakness Really? If you think about it, it's ridiculous. And actually weaken the strength by trying to strengthen a weakness. We need to be careful. So I think understanding what's good about us, understanding, you know, where our behaviors come from in regard to the thinking before it, and then reframing some of those words and pictures. And I guess that's what you've done with your gym example, is uh, I guess mm. change some of the words and pictures in your head mm. to therefore feel differently, which has resulted in you in acting differently. Yeah. And I really, you know, I was, I was valuing intensity over consistency yeah. and intensity wasn't sustainable. Right. So I was going through the summer, like two, to the gym, two times a day, I was starving myself, like eating things that I, I, I didn't want to necessarily eat. And, yeah. and the, the consistency came from being a bit more, um, realistic with myself being yeah. like, you know, if you miss the day of the gym, it doesn't matter. You don't have to perspective. Yeah. It's perspective, isn't it? Yeah. And I think, do you know, it's funny because again, so many, so many sports people have worked with, um, business people who will lose perspective. They'll lose a tournament and it's dreadful. You know, win a tournament. I've, I've made it, you know, this mm. is it. This is a turning point for me. You know, they win a big contract, you know, in business and you know, this is us now we're set up, you know, mm. or they, or they lose a contract and, um, life has never been so dreadful. Mm. Uh, um, but I think that we need a better perspective perspective on things so our ability to think more long term to be more forgiving you know to understand with more um reality at uh, what's good and what's not so good um is probably the way forwards and in terms of responsibility 
It's a, it's a topic that's fast. Consistency is a topic I've, I've been so fascinated about over the last year, as I've reflected and done, has been sort of introspective about the things I've been able to achieve, whether it's getting millions of followers on social media, or whether it's growing my business or going to the gym. It seems that the, the very ironically consistent theme across all of them was consistency. It was being able to do, perform X habit for a long period of time. Yeah. And then you have that, the eighth wonder of the world shows up and things start compounding in your favor very quickly, usually. Um, but the other term that I've been fascinated with is responsibility. And as I've, I started out as an 18 year old kid, uh, dropped out of university, disowned by my parents, no money at all. And the, one of the things that I noticed as I look back on 18 year old Steve versus a lot of other people that I see that are, that are living in the same shithole area I was living in and stealing pizzas like I was stealing them, um, was they don't take responsibility for their situation. They kind of see themselves as a, a, a victim of the situation they're in. Yes. Whereas when I was in that situation, not only did I not view it as my destination, I was literally taking photos of the the, the nothingness in my fridge and the, the how dire my life was because in my mind, and I started keeping this diary on Facebook, which I really randomly wrote in my diary that a TV company had asked me to keep this because I didn't actually know how to tell my own diary right. that I thought I was going to show the world this someday. Um, I, I didn't see it as my my destination and I took full responsibility of my circumstance. It wasn't anyone's fault but my own and I was going to change it. But then I, I, one of the things that makes me concerned um, about our generation and about certain political narratives and certain themes I see on the internet is an like an, uh, an avoidance of responsibility for your life and the the default to blame someone else. And I'll, I'll be honest, it's something I see more in the Western world than I do in the African village I was yeah. born in. Yeah. You know, so I wanted to know if really from you, like what role responsibility plays in people's outcomes. Okay, that's a big one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you promised me some easy questions today. <laughs> Never. Um, no. So um, responsibility is huge. It's just massive. It's um, it's it's one of the pre it's one of the um, predetermines of successful outcomes is our ability to take ownership and accountability. So circumstance and situation push and pull us in different directions on a daily basis. The world is complex, it's uncertain, it's unpredictable, all of those things. The people who perform best have huge levels of responsibility and ability to respond to those circumstances and situation, no matter what they are, to drive the best outcomes or opportunities. So I always said there's a circle of concern, water cooler conversations, the stuff that's going on you know, around us, circumstance, situation, incidents and accidents. Then there's a circle of influence. And the circle of influence is where we make choice. That's what it's about. So responsibility is all about choice for me. And I absolutely guarantee you now that, that, uh, that circumstance and situation is not a predictor of success at, um, because we know of people who are born into privilege. They're great role models, had good access to opportunity, to wealth. They had good guidance and good support, and they ended up dying heroin addicts in prison. We know some people born with a physical disadvantage. Now, the lack of good role models, now the lack of guidance, lack of support, lack of opportunity, they grew up to be some of the most successful people who have ever walked this earth. So it proves beyond doubt that attitude is more important than intelligence or facts. And I genuinely believe that to be true in all areas of high performance, that attitude is more important than intelligence or facts. I always say, give me I will over IQ. Any one of my teams, I'd rather have I will over IQ. Because high technical expertise, I'm talking about the Western world at the moment, high technical expertise is no longer as valuable as it used to be. Mm. Um, and the reason why high technical expertise is no longer as valuable as it used to be is because we can Google things. Internet, That's yeah, why. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so knowing yeah, a lot yeah. isn't where your success is going to come from. Yeah. And, um, it's not what you know, which is important. It's how you think about what you know. And how you bring it to life with your character and personality to determine the best outcomes or opportunities. Mm. So, you know, I genuinely believe that the only way in which businesses or people will become successful and truly perform to their optimum is taking full accountability and ownership. We need to almost move away from circumstance and situation, which is a distraction. So um, the more that we realize that our success is dependent upon us um, and not on the situation, the better. And because the world is so unpredictable, 
We need to simply learn to dance on a shifting carpet, not see the rug being pulled from under our feet. Mm. You know, life is a game of continual adjustment, and, um, and it doesn't matter what happens. It's how we react and respond to it that determine those best opportunities or outcomes. And I think that, you know, it's, it's funny because I mean, this year I'm working with a lot of businesses and um, on culture, on team, um, people strategies. And the focus on responsibility has never been higher, mm. yeah, mainly because we've been asked to stay apart. People are having to determine their own work schedules. People have to determine their own working week. At, um, they're going to have to take responsibility for driving the best outcomes at, um, whilst they're not surrounded by a team or working with directly with a leader. So it's been a greater call for responsibility. I wonder whether, in answer to your question, and I don't know the answer to this, um, I wonder whether we'll see a better shift or greater shift towards more responsibility in the western world because I, I agree with you i think that many of us will see ourselves as a victim of circumstance and situation and not necessarily see the beauty in the chaos because of it mm. you talk there about the the internet as well and the power of the internet and how that's been a bit of a leveler which is yeah. which, which is a really wonderful thing i think um what, how important is it do you do you think when you think about the successful people you've worked with to be a uh, sort of self-driven learner beyond school. Um, do, do you see in the specifically in the sort of upper echelons of like business, the ones that are, the people that are most successful are proactive, sort of self-driven? Yes. Yeah, I think that, I think it's true. I think that um, I would say that our only sustainable competitive advantage is to learn faster and better than your competitors so you know and you think about that for a business you think about that for a leader you know you think about it for sportsmen it's probably true isn't it you know our mm. only sort of com sustainable competitive advantage is just learn faster and better than anyone it's else like two paraline line and, analogy, yeah, yeah yeah and i think that you know and i think that i think that how can we learn faster and better yeah if we're not proactive lifelong learners and so you know and i think that you know learning isn't necessarily about being taught um we don't necessarily need teachers um it's a strive for greater curiosity you know i think curiosity is worth more than creativity at the moment but it's a strive for greater curiosity it's a matter of being matter of being open-minded it's a matter of being um agile in our thinking so we can deploy resource to opportunity as it becomes visible mm. um it's about um it's about self-discovery. So it's about you know, a variety of things which are based not necessarily upon traditional learning, but more in the way in which we can open our mind up to experimentation and feedback, you know, and understanding ourselves differently. And I think the best leaders, um, you know, have this ability to, you know, reimagine, repurpose, reinvent. I don't think they're beholden to a particular or wedded to a particular mindset. But that's, for a lot of people, that's terrifying. The thought of yes. experimentation and being agile and reinvention. I've seen that in my own business. I've seen over the years, I was um, I was known as being the guy that would walk in. I think a lot of business leaders are walking in the morning and be like, we're going in a different direction. Everyone come in this right. room. We're going to launch this part of our business and we're going to take it. We're going to experiment. And I, I would often say to our team that experimentation is like at the heart of all of our strategy. It's like why, especially as a social media company where our platforms, social media changes every day there's new updates pushed by facebook and instagram yes. every day um so our, our company slogan was keeping keeping brands at the forefront of what's possible which meant that we had to be agile but i'd often see people in my organization that were really against change fearful of it they would take you know they would resist it yeah you know uh and i i um I wonder how you, if it's, I always wondered why it was. I th some of them had uh, levels of imposter syndrome. So they were, you know, they were just, uh, just trying to get a hang of the role they were in and not do more. They, they, you know, they were already, you know, conscious, yeah. but I, I wonder what your thoughts were on that. I think, I think, I think people don't like change because they don't know what it results in. I think that's one of the things. But so let's take, um, let's take uh, moving your desk yeah <laughs> so someone sat at a desk for 10 years in a particular office and you said you know what you need to you need to move down the corridor um we're going to make a move but uh <laughs> people weren't like that in the slightest yeah. um if you said to them that you know you need to move down the corridor you know we really appreciate the move we're going to give you a million pounds at the end of the year because mm. of it yeah. they'll be trotting off with their potted plant in hand <laughs> like, i guarantee it yeah, yeah, yeah. so i think that because people don't necessarily know what it results in why should we invest in doing something different which is uncomfortable because it goes mm. against our mental tram lines our habitual thinking so now you're asking me to compromise my patterns 
Sands, and I don't know what for. I don't know what's going to result in. Mm. It could be good, it could be bad. So therefore, I'm not sure I want to go to the trouble of investing in this change when I haven't determined you know, the result mm. of it. As human beings, we like patterns. Um, that's good and it's bad. And It works in our favour sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. And we like patterns and so we like consistency um, and we compartmentalize and um, I get a viewpoint on the world. And in fact, if you look at um, you know, the office is a good example. The office is a great example of keeping people in patterns. You've got your phone on your desk here, you've got your computer there, come in at a certain time, work in a certain way, take your lunch at a certain time. So we're conditioned to work in a way which is reflective of the consistency, which takes out variance in business. Oh, yeah. So you think that management has been around for about 100 years. And the reason why management's been around for about 100 years is to reduce variance, because then you can get, then you can scale. Mm. So businesses got bigger, a lot bigger 100 years ago, because of the ability to keep people habitual so um so because we've become conditioned to do this and everything around us keeps us in 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 a pattern that we quite like being in Mm. as soon as we start to move outside of that there's a level of discomfort so i guess leaders can allow people to make change and embrace change um i guess there's a few points one it's always best if it's co-authored and co-created right um, so let's involve people in what that change looks like um it's always best if um uh, we look at um, our organizations or teams as a community instead of as a team or an organization. Now, at the moment, communities are outperforming bureaucracies and hierarchies when it comes to maximizing human talent. So let's try and form a community. At, um, let's co-author and co-create. At, um, and then um, let's have a look at um, peer recognition, peer coaching, peer challenge. It doesn't need to be a top-down thing done to people. It mm-hmm. can be something which can happen from the inside out you know it's, it's it's meaningful when when something is endorsed by others that that you know you are that you feel an affinity with sure what, what, when you read about the steve jobs of the world and the elon musks of the world they seem to buck all of the tr- a lot of the trends that you hear in like management coaching they seem to be very authoritarian you know i was reading about from i was reading yeah. steve uh, no elon musk's biography and there's stories of him just like calling someone into the office and saying how much does it cost to do this they'll say 10 million he'll say do it for five five thousand and do it within 30 days and they'll go away feeling puzzled but they'll get it done yeah he has this culture of like intensity and when you start he says to the teams that this will be the hardest you've ever worked in your life but it'll be the most worthwhile, but it'll be the hardest you've ever worked. And, and I, you know, and then Steve Jobs as well. I've heard the stories of how he was, you know, how he built the company at Medlow Park. And um, he seemed like the antithesis of what you would read about in a business book. But obviously these are two of the most successful entrepreneurs the world has ever, you know, seen. So I wondered if there's a, I'm trying to appreciate the like, how they've achieved their success by being so different from what all the business books say. Uh, from all accounts, they're assholes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I think a couple of things. I guess that, you know, you find what works for you. Mm. Um, I think what they have on their side is they have a really big purpose statement. It's a really big mission. Mm. So there are lots of companies with mission statements, but very few on a mission. And I guess that when it comes back to um, the point I made earlier that, passion being a significant multiplier of human potential i guess that these people have the ability to engage people so to tell a story attempt to inspire and motivate so i guess that you know there is a there's no doubt lots of logic and there is no doubt lots of uh, rationality which is used in their management and leadership style you know but what you're describing to me and the people that you're describing um i think you can really get behind something that someone passionately believes in and is something which is worthwhile and purposeful yet on such a grand scale so i think when they're talking about um and things which will change humanity mm. um i think it's possible for you know us to be swept along at um, on that particular vision at um so maybe it does mobilize people in a different manner because of who they are mm. what they believe in and what they're trying to achieve Hmm. Yeah, no, that's probably true. I mean, yeah, you think about it, I, I, the example I give you is going to um, say J, JFK. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean JFK. You think about JFK's speech about a put a man on the moon. You should read it actually rather mm. than, than look at it. Um, 
It's a rubbish speech when you read it. But um, and the reason, yeah, and the reason why is that there's no logic to it at all. There's no rationality. So he says we will put a man on the moon. And the reason why he gives that we should put a man on the moon is because it's it's hard and not easy. And, um, which is a rubbish reason to do yeah. anything. <laughs> it's hard, and not easy. Yeah, that's why we're going to do it. Yeah. So, um, but not only did they end up doing this it mobilized a whole nation behind the space race and a whole nation behind science in fact um and the reason why was that because logic was low inspiration was high it was such a um it was such a literally a moonshot it was literally mm. such a big goal and so ambitious so expansive you know that people bought into the dream mm. and i wonder whether and i don't know yeah, the examples you gave Steve Jobs and Elon Musk what whether whether people just buy into that dream you know they buy into the, what they not necessarily what they're seeking to do but what they're seeking to create mm. and maybe there's a lesson for all of us who manage and uh, manage teams that that maybe it's not about trying to you know get people to do stuff it's about people to you know to create stuff mm. is that you know uh, to, to be part of something which is worthwhile and meaningful and sell a big vision Mm. tell the right story and uh and you know engage people emotionally you know all of this stuff about psychology you know a lot of stuff right? i read a few books yeah <laughs> you've read a few books <laughs> read a few books yeah. last tuesday yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know a lot of don't stuff don't tell my clients <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah when people come across people like you they think that you've got all the answers and because you've got all the answers or at least an answer to most things um they think that you must live a life of sort of perfect perfect decision making <laughs> do you know what i mean cobblers children have the worst worn shoes <laughs> yeah exactly so, yeah. um so yeah what what are you like at uh at living these things that you're mm. you are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level and a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. Aware of. What do you like at, uh, at living these things that you're mm. aware of? Yeah, I'm rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> Next question. Right, that's Let's the end on. of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hypocrite. And, it, yeah, the, and the reason why is that uh, two things. That one, um, we're all human. Because we're all human, uh, you know, we're all prone to make mistakes in our doing and our thinking. Um, and I think that being, you know, better never stops. So therefore, we've got to continually adjust. You know, we don't find hints, tips, gimmicks that make us better. And then we just apply them regularly and it works. So I guess there's a level of inconsistency at, uh, which is reflective of the fact that, you know, that I'm a human being who tries to do better, you know, Give on, me an a, example. on a regular basis. On an example um, of something, you, well, you're aware of the truth, but you're just not... <laughs> on, the amount, you know, on the amount of time, so as you know, I've been a guest speaker for 10 years now. Mm -hmm. So when the world is normal and sane, at, um, you know, I would um, go off four days a week anywhere in the world so twice a week i was abroad and i'd speak to a few hundred people i'd stand on stage i'd do an hour's talk about performance psychology and then i'd come off um so i did that for 10 years four times a week and um but um uh, but i'd often come off and think was that any good and i say to the stake a stakeholder would come up to me and say that you know that was really brilliant this is exactly what we're after it's perfect i say happy oh yeah, yeah it's exactly what we're after but you sort of covered the brief yeah yes yeah absolutely it's exactly what we want <laughs> <laughs> i said well send me an email let me know the feedback <laughs> and then you get you know maybe you even get some feedback which is like you know you get sort of scored out of five in terms of like 97 percent five at um i'd be scouring for the threes and twos and think that you know there's like you know, 500 people there's like sort of five people to put two and mm. said it was all right 
I just think, fucker. <laughs> but but, um, but, uh, but uh, I'd be wondering why. What did I do wrong? What was yeah, and it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. The amount of times I've sat in front of an audience, and um, and you know maybe there's three hundred people there, and there's someone with their arms folded like that, and they're just like, I think he doesn't look engaged. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and so out of three hundred people, there's something. There's most people writing down things or nodding or smiling or whatever it is. It's amazing how many times I can pick out the one person who, who doesn't seem to be enjoying it. No, <laughs> so I think I think. Look, I guess a couple of things that I'm I'm always prone to. You know, we we actually we weight quite highly the stuff which we think we're not doing well. You know, we're trying to fix what's not right about us, what's not good, at, um, you know, what we should have done, at, um, what we could be doing. Um, I think I'm still prone to that in terms rather than sort of enjoying the you know the success that I've had. Really, what about things in your personal life in terms of like? like you know health and like being a parent and like yeah pursuing goals and ambitions you have on your in your personal life what about those things How yeah you- i think that you know um uh, health wise I, I need to take some advice from you we should i'll lie down <laughs> and tell you all about it <laughs> that, uh, no, i keep i keep meaning to i keep meaning to run more and go to the gym more attempt there's always an excuse um so you know i'm the most demotivated motivational speaker of me. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> life's pretty shit <laughs> And um, so, um, so yeah, so I think I need to work out more. Um, I tell you the one thing that gets me, and um, I've got three children. I've got sort of um, four, four-year-old twin girls and oh, wow. a nine-year-old boy. Um, is that, you know, as a psychologist, and, um, you know, I'm pretty good at, I've sat in front of some sort of pretty difficult clients, some really difficult clients, you know, some people at the absolute top of their profession and, um, and are, are fucking screwed in their thinking. And, um, and, you know, and, you know, I've dealt with it four-year-olds and nine-year-olds just do me i can't you know i just you, know, you try and apply psychology to it and it doesn't work and so the level of frustration that comes about in regard to being a parent again this is my point that you know all human beings mm. that um so um so you know you try you try all the influence persuasion and negotiation and all the psychology and all the techniques that you know that um it doesn't work on four-year-olds doesn't work it's on so them. funny we, the guest that was sat here yesterday joe wick said the exact same thing he said i'm like a you know calm guy but he's just said you know when I, my daughter, I'll, I'll tell her that I want to just put her down so I can clean the counter yeah. and she just won't be the having it. The irrationality of it is what exactly. does me. Yeah. And um, so, you know, it's, you know, it's funny because um, it, I've had some really good sports people sit in front of me and say, you know, give me, you know, can you, have you got something that makes me better then? Mm. And then you give them something and they go away to come back a week later and they say, I tried that. It doesn't work. Have you got anything else? <laughs> and it's a bit like going to the gym, working out for half an hour, going home, looking in the mirror and saying, yeah. it's crap that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like the gym. It's rubbish. Yeah. It doesn't work for me. Um, and so, and this is my point that, that, you know, it's not about tools, gimmicks and hints. It's about striving every day to be better than what you were yesterday. Mm. Um, I worked with a, a, a golfer who was very, very good, really good. Um, and, you know, literally top 10 in the world. He spent a whole year at, um, and uh, with just a piece of paper in his pocket. And he used to play with this piece of paper in his pocket. Um, and it used to just say, um, uh, what did I enjoy today and what did I learn today? There's only two questions on it. And then in the evening, he just answered those questions. So that whole year, forget the numbers. I'm not going to look at numbers. I'm just going to answer this question. So if I've had a good day or I've had a bad day, doesn't make any difference i'll just answer that question these questions what did i enjoy today and what did i learn today he had the best year he ever had at um, just answering those questions well, yeah and in a way there almost needs to be more simplicity to not using tools and techniques not to try and apply psychology to a four-year-old yeah. at, um, you know but to just try and consistently enjoy and learn on a daily basis mm. you know, and so i guess in regard to like you know yeah i'm still prone to say God, I need to get running. At, uh, I've been drinking all week. I need to do some exercise at the weekend. Mm. Um, and, you know, again, it's falling into the trap of the uh, of being at the mercy of the shoulds and musts rather than thinking about, at, um, you know, what am I enjoying? What am I learning? What surprised me at, uh, this week? Um, you know, where am I experimenting? At, um, what have I discovered, you know, this week about myself? And then once we start to talk like that, maybe we can sort of, I guess apply more consistent thinking and therefore change our doing. So you want to run. Let's use that as an example. Yeah, I need to run more, definitely. I need to run more. Why do you need to run more? 
And, um, I, do you know, because I want to improve my heart and lung health, I think. I think I've got to an age, it's all right for you because you're young and fit. And, um, but, um, but I think I've got to an age now where I realise there's more of an importance on exercise. So, you know, before I could just, I'll just do it anyway. You know, I'll mm. pick up running every now and then I'll be able to run. I go to the gym every now and then I'll have a great time at the gym for a couple of weeks and then I'll skip it. Mm. Um, yeah, but now, you know, but now it's, it's different. At, um, you know, now I sort of feel at, um, as though, you know, I could be fitter should be i think this year has also sort of illuminated that for everybody that the importance of health i think it's made us all well it has for me anyway made me think about my health a lot more not not yeah. not for the, the vain reasons that you know a young guy would think about their health because they're trying to trying to get laid or something but because uh, you know i, I import i want to live longer and i want to have more yeah, memories and those kind absolutely. of things did you know near il he wrote a book called indistractable I know, yeah i'm not familiar with i haven't read it but you're probably familiar with the book. You know, yeah, I know the name. But yeah. I'm, yeah. He said this quote to me, which really changed my life. And I think about it all the time. Okay. When I find myself procrastinating from doing something or whatever, he said that typically we think we're humans that are seeking pleasure, but we're actually living uh, sort of, uh, in the avoidance of discomfort. Hmm. And when I think about the things that I procrastinate against, or whether, you know, we're at six, yeah. seven o'clock in the evening, you think, oh, I can't be bothered to go, whatever. It does ring true to me that I'm actually avoiding some kind of psychological discomfort. Yes. And so I now, whenever I feel myself like this weekend, I had, I had this big project to do. I, I also had this talk that I had to do, um, for my manager, Dom. And I found myself like, and then I've got the book, my book, which I had to do, go through the whole book from start to finish in a day right. and do any, oh, fuck yeah. And I'm like low key finding myself, like, oh, just clean the countertop because that's important. More important you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, and I, yeah. I stopped myself and I thought you're avoiding the discomfort associated with sitting down for nine hours until 6am in the morning hmm. and doing the book. And it wasn't until I realized why, you know, when I started that term has, has been like this flashlight that I shine in like the corner of the room where I've, yeah. I'm hiding the, you know, the thing that I don't want to do now. So I wondered if it was, you know, for some, in, in regards to your running, if it's in some respects similar, like you're avoiding some kind of discomfort where you think I'd rather <laughs> I, play the guitar. I, I, I'm convinced of it because running is such an unpleasant experience it, for it's me. It's a awful. really good example. <laughs> yeah, I can't awful. stand it. So, uh, <laughs> so, um, so, but you're absolutely right that, uh, that, that, you know, I totally agree with you that, you know, we, we, we do, sort of go about our lives trying to seek moving out of that space of you know of of being uncomfortable this is why we don't have conflict conversations you know in the workplace this is why we don't challenge our own thinking this is why we don't like change and uh you know we like we like to operate from a comfort zone that's what we do um so yeah no i agree with you i think i think because running is such an unpleasant experience for me it's that's absolutely awful um i'm probably avoiding it because you know, i just don't want the experience whereas riding a bike isn't so bad for me and um so so yeah so maybe therefore that um instead of sat there at four or five o'clock thinking god i need to go running in an hour and i really don't want to i'll go tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe what i should be saying is i need to go running no you don't and um why don't you ride a bike why don't you yeah why don't you go upstairs it changed changed my life um okay and um well i'll have have a go on it after this (laughs) (laughs) but um we should have done a whole interview on that (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna kill two birds with one stone (laughs) i hate running as well it's like i hate the impact on my knees yeah, i just I, do, I don't want to be outside to be yeah. able to, to be swerving past people so i got the peloton mm. um I, it's low resistance it's fun yeah. super engaging and gamified yeah. because you see the data you see everyone in the world and where they're placing you see jenny 55 in north carolina is beating you yeah make me feel bad yeah, i hate so, jenny forever yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> that just makes me realize how unfit i am and how much i hate other people who are fitter than me but i mean interestingly it proves how fit you are because you said you don't like running because of your knees and swerving past like people it. i don't like running because i can't breathe so, so you're already chicken winning and egg, right? you're already- <laughs> chicken and egg if you start, that'll be cured if you start running um but 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 on that point of um of psychological discomfort um how does somebody in your opinion face a challenge that they know is uncomfortable like I, you know I, to be honest i don't i don't want to go to the gym or do all these zoom calls all the time it's not like you know i'm not getting comfort or in pleasure out of doing two hour zoom calls at the moment about like you know biotech or whatever it is the thing Mm. that i'm involved in but i'm doing it and i wanted to know in your case what what does it take someone who like doesn't want to do something because they know it's uncomfortable to say do you know what fuck it i'm gonna do it today yeah and is it does that go back to that point of of having that like long 
anchor purpose. Yeah, I think it does. I mean, uh, uh, is it Muhammad Ali said, I, I hated every moment in the gym, but I did it so I could live the rest of my life like a champion. champion. Yeah, and it's and in, in a way it's true, isn't it? That, that you know, there are, there are component parts to success. Um, and I think a really interesting one is, and the one that most people probably relate to, is failure. So people don't like to experience failure. Mm. But, you know, for example, failure is part payment towards success. So the price of success is always paid in full and in advance. So the price of success is always paid in full and in advance. You can't be successful and you start making mistakes. You can't be successful and start having your two-hour Zoom calls. Mm. And, uh, you know, in a way, you need to fail. We need to have these awful conversations. We need to kiss lots of frogs. We need to, you know, do deals which don't work. And we need to do all these things to enable you to be super successful. Mm. So um, there's lots of things that, um, again, it comes back to reframing. If we see it as part and parcel, a stepping stone towards a greater advancement, we're probably more likely to do it. You know, if you see failure as something which is we're trying to avoid and it's just awful and, you know, and it, it screams to me that I'm useless, um, then we're probably going to stay within a comfort zone. You know, if we embrace failure, then we see it as part payment towards success. And then we see it as something which is um, an active contribution, a stepping stone towards you know, being better. Maybe we're more likely to indulge in it and not have the discomfort that we associate with it. So, you know, I feel that um, it is always good to think about, you know, what you the think about that end goal, have that purpose, that vision, the mission, you know, what you're seeking to achieve and create. Um, and then think about what those building blocks look like, because, you know, all great achievements are the result of many small achievements. Um, you know, you had Joe Wicks here yesterday. Yeah. Um, he wasn't super successful overnight. And um, he probably kissed a lot of frogs i'm sure you mm. talked about it you know um, you know his business and career and personal life went in all sorts of different directions like ours mm -hmm. um and you know it's not necessarily as we said earlier it's not necessarily what what happens it's 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 our interpretation of what's happening which will then enable us to use that as feedback towards something better and do you find with a lot of the high performance people you've worked with that their childhood is a definitive reason as to why they are the way they are today. I've, I'm going to try and articulate this if I can, but I've, I, from speaking to guests on this podcast and also from a bit of introspection, to be honest, I tend to think a lot of people that have extraordinary outcomes have often had some kind of extraordinary early experience. And I'll give you a couple of examples. The the, a lot of the billionaires that I know are really, really successful people that I know um, cite their father's disapproval as the reason why they've always had a chip on their shoulder. And they've always strived obsessively to be enough, right? Because their father told them they weren't enough. Yeah. Um, have you seen that in successful people that there's the, the thing that makes them just a bit fucking weird is often... A, you know, I think of one particular instance with a friend of mine, a comment their mother made when they were four that they yeah. just can't shake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I don't delve into backgrounds in the way that maybe someone involved in psychiatry would. Mm. You know, so as a performance coach, I tend to work with how people are now, basically. Mm. And um, tell me about what you're thinking and doing, what you're trying to achieve. Um, and more so than to try and deconstruct, you know, or analyze some of the, you know, the earlier experiences. Um, so that's not my thing. Having said that, though, you're absolutely right. There seems to be some sort of correlation between extreme experiences and then how people interpret or translate them. And in fact, you know, as you're talking, I was trying to think of the book. I can't think of the book. I wish I could now. And they talk about in this book the fact that so many super successful people, politicians, actors, um, business people, lost parents when they were young. Um, and there's a cor direct correlation, believe it or not, there's a direct correlation between um, people losing parents when they were young and then becoming super performers, being incredibly successful. Um, and the psychology behind it was that you learn independence. And um, you know, it's almost easy. If you've got these loving, fabulous parents who, you know, hopefully, you know, many people have got, um, you're not as independent, you know, whereas, you know, if you lose a parent young, you end up sort of doing things for yourself a little bit earlier and so maybe that going back to that responsibility the ownership piece and um, having to sort yourself out mm -hmm. and um you know means that 
people learn some of the skills which enable their talent to then be used differently in the future. But there is a direct correlation, believe it or not. I wish I could tell you the, psych- the, the real psychology in the actual article and the, the actual piece in the book. Um, but you just reminded me when you're talking about it. So I do yeah. think that some people do have these extreme experiences. And I think that... Um, it's almost easier to get to know ourselves and get to think about life and contextualize things. Um, you know, if we're experiencing things which are outside of our, sort of, I guess, our normal um, field of vision. I, I resonate a lot with that. I, um, you said, you know, lose a parent, but the, the reason I resonated with that is because I've said multiple times on this podcast again, um, that when people have asked me why why I was successful, I, I, I cite that when I was younger, my parents weren't ever in the house. And that made meant that I had to find a way to make money to feed myself. Or, you know, my mum was never in the house when I went to bed and she was never there when I woke up because she was just, she slept at her shop sometimes. And my dad worked in London for right, six days okay. a week, which was four hours away. And I, and it was only of the four of us in our fa- my family, the four siblings, that wasn't the case for my older siblings. When they were younger or when they were my age, mum and dad were in the house every day doing date nights and we're together and then when I grew up by the age of 10 I could leave the house for three days or two days and they wouldn't actually know that I'd gone and so that meant that I became like this sort of self-autonomous kid at like 12, 13, 14, 15 and then started businesses at 14 and then you know went off but you could have gone the other way as well couldn't you Oh, 100%. You know, with that level of freedom and autonomy, but not the maturity and, and, you know, to deal with that freedom. Um, my friend, my best friend said to yeah. me, when I'll never forget where I stood when he said it in this takeaway shop, he said, Stephen, you're either going to be a criminal or a millionaire. Hmm. And it was because hmm. I had that, my independence created yeah. this connection where I knew that my outcomes yeah. were going to be a direct result of my behavior. I always think of like school dinners as the perfect example. My, for a lot of my childhood, maybe up until the age of about nine, my, there was always like two quid on the counter, which was like, okay, you take that to school. And then by 10, the two quid wasn't there anymore. Yeah. So it was like yeah. waking up in the morning and being like, how am I going to eat today? I'd have to find a way. So I'd go and sell cigarettes. Or, you know, I'd like, I'd, I knew that there were cigarettes in this this room upstairs, which my mum had got from Nigeria one one year. So I just went to school and I was just shopping the cigarettes or chewing gum. And it was that, that connection I made super early that my outcomes are a direct and only correlation of sort of connected to my behavior. Um, mm. So I resonate with that a lot. And it kind yeah. of ex- explains the difference between four kids that grew up in the same household and one, the you know, three of them went to university, LSE, Cambridge, whatever. And one of right. them dropped out of everything, got kicked out of school and became an entrepreneur. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's true, isn't it? It's yeah. just, so it's not necessarily the, um, yeah, the experience. It's how we translate that experience. And exactly. How yeah. we channel are feeling into something which could be productive or destructive. You could have become a criminal and a millionaire and got a job with this Tory government. <laughs> <laughs> you could be a front bench There's MP with time. those credentials. <laughs> There's still time. I'm a millionaire criminal. Yeah. <laughs> There's still still a lot of time. Yeah. I, but the last thing I really wanted to ask you about was, um, you know, this idea of distractions. Social media has uh, made it incredibly easy to distract ourselves. And you see, you know, teams becoming in, much more distracted at work because of all these screens and, you know, the digitalization yeah. of the world and individuals. And what are, what's your thoughts on on why we're, we're so distracted and how to overcome it? Yeah, um, it's true that we are distracted. I think focus and concentration have to be practiced. So many things can be improved. So um, whether it's resilience, whether it's concentration, whether it's courage, all these things can be practiced. So many things, courage, for example, I always think courage is like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. So it's possible to exercise all these things and be better at them. And I think that um, it's fine to be distracted because it's actually quite nice to have different stimuli and different um, provocation. Mm. Um, And so we just need to choose when it's good to have that provocation and change at, um, and when we need to concentrate and we need to practice both now um uh here's a thing for you at, um, is that as human beings we don't multitask so multitasking is a lie so for all the um all the girls and all the women watching this at, um uh, or listening to this um i'm sorry to tell you it's not true you, you don't multitask better than men amen. <laughs> it's true amen it's, it doesn't happen but, um, we're both equally as bad then we're both useless at it so what we do is we do rapid switching so we don't multitask we just context talk, switching yeah, exactly yeah. um this is why actually um i can't remember what it was a couple of years ago that the um the blackberry network went down in abu dhabi for a weekend from friday to monday mm. had a 48 
38% decrease in car accidents that weekend. Really? <laughs> because wow. as human de- beings, we don't multitask. You don't sort of like check your text and drive well. It doesn't work mm. as a human being. So, um, so I think that we are living in an age where it's easy to be distracted and some of these distractions are incredibly useful. Um, we need to come back to greater responsibility and choice. And um, let's choose and, um, you know, when it's fine to do that and when it's fine not to be. And, um, and you know, practice, you know, these levels of concentration and focus that we may need for certain tasks, but we may not for another. Um, so I quite like um, times when I can sit down and read a book or absorb something or think about something and narrow my focus. Um, sometimes I quite like sort of TV being on, music being on at a um, phone next to me on the computer because actually um, I'm sometimes picking up on certain things which um, for a level of creativity mm. can be quite useful at a bit of provocation a bit of um, a bit of changeability in my thinking because I get distracted by something and come back to it mm. I find that as well if I find them for some bizarre reason if I if I go for a walk or if I go to the gym uh, inspiration floods into me but when I'm stood sat in my office trying to think of stuff it's yeah almost impossible the shower is another weird place where all my ideas seem to show up all at once and it's like i'm not like this isn't hyperbole i'm not exaggerating at all like if i if i'm sat here and i'm trying to think of something to write or whatever i go for a walk and sometimes i put my my music in it's like non-stop and i find that quite you know interesting because teams are often trying to think of ideas and creativity and if you say to people, where do you have your best ideas? And um, ask people that question, where do you have your best ideas? Do you know what? They'll say, well, I'm walking the dog. And um, when I'm in the shower, just about to fall off the sleep, um, on the commute, uh, over breakfast. Commute, and, yeah. uh, you know, um, they'll, 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 they'll come up with all recreational drugs. They'll come up with all <laughs> sorts of stuff. But no one will ever say in a boardroom with some mints on the table and a jug of water. No one will ever people. say that. Yeah. But, but where do we, where do we um, yeah, try and create ideas in a business? At, um, we get them around this boardroom table. At, um, no one ever says, don't get me wrong, you can't get your team in the shower with you. Maybe you've tried, I don't know what it's like around here. Maybe you've tried, Speak I don't know. Speak for yourself. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, team meet, bring a towel. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe we can't do that, but we've got to find a way of trying to you know, f- uh, create a more natural environment for people to flourish. And I do say to you know, many organizations, I say to them that, you know, you're too quick to train the people rather than fix the environment. You know, people say, oh, I need more innovative people. No, you don't. And, um, you know, we need to train them on innovation. No, you don't. Let's try and create a culture, an environment where people are free to express themselves. The problem we got is that, you know, we're so, we're so convergent in our thinking. And, uh, you know, uh, we start off as divergent thinkers. We start off making really weird connections. Um, I had a six-year-old once um, ask me, what does the number nine smell like? Amazing question. It's probably the best question I've ever been asked. With all due respect to the interviewer today. I was going to say. But, okay. um, but you know what does the number nine smell like? It's a great question. Um, you know, when was the last time you heard a CEO ask that question? They don't. And, um, you know, children ask these divergent questions because they make the connection between two things usually unconnected. Um, and then they go to school and the school says, why are you asking that? We're doing numbers today. Just concentrate on the numbers. Mm. Um, and then we go from divergent thinkers to convergent thinkers. And our careers get better because of it. Our businesses get better because of it and uh, making simple connections you know margins down okay we need to do this you know revenues down okay we need to do that um but what do we need in today's society in today's world and um i don't think we need convergent thinking i think we need to move back and and, and get into that divergent space again and you know who are the most successful people you know at the moment and people are making really weird connections people who this is where uber and airbnb and all these things come from it's from people who are making a connection between two things previously unconnected because they're still divergent so let's try and create some environments where people are free to explore experiment free to break some of the rules and uh, to talk about things which are um which are not easily put together. And I think that that's the best way in which we can see the opportunity and possibilities in, in this changing world in which we're living. How do people find you? What's the best uh, way? Yeah, I think, I mean, um, uh, Twitter or LinkedIn, really. I don't use anything. I don't use Facebook or anything like that. So, um, or your website, I so, guess. Yeah, my website. And to me, people can contact me through my website. But I use, uh, I started using Twitter again, and but LinkedIn is great for me. Mm, I can imagine. There are about 30,000 people on LinkedIn, and that's really where, where, where I sort of communicate. Have you, um, 
how do you find social media just out of interest in terms of like do, do you know I'm, I'm a bit like an alcoholic who can't get the top of the bottle <laughs> yeah, I mean I, love, I mean I love the idea of it but, um, you know I am um, you know I, I think oh god I should be doing more um but um but I but I but I just don't people say that you should no, if it's not you, broke. Should, you should do yeah well no. but you know what it's funny one of the advice that i give people at the moment if it ain't broke you should break it really? um, because, because um you know we almost need to give up what's allowing us to be successful sure, to allow yeah. us to be successful exactly and um you know i know it's a counterintuitive argument no, it makes perfect but, sense to be honest i mean that's the by but, definition what innovation is right it's, yeah it's breaking the blueprint so so i think that you know and again look it's probably like my running isn't it it's one of those things which are uncomfortable so i probably don't do it so, um, <laughs> so you know, what I should do is is try and find out more about you know social media, and then I'll have a look at your social channels after. And obviously, we've got a lot of content from this, so I'll, I'll, we can send it to you in a way that will do, perform well if you post it. So, but listen, okay. thank you for your time today. Thank it's you, been very, very generous, and it's a really inspiring conversation. That's uh, I actually want to. It's one of the few conversations where I'm like, I really need to re-listen to this again, and uh, maybe with my notepad out and really take notes because there's so many ideas there that are really really profound at times that i'm like i'm trying to hold on to and then because you're because you're full of them i'm i'm going back i'm thinking and i'm losing you know what i mean because Mm. there's so much intelligence condensed in such a short period of time very kind no i really really mean that as well yeah no (laughs) good for for the self-esteem no i really mean that i'm like it's sometimes i have experts on that have really well studied in their field and the things you say, as someone who's ran a multinational business with 700 employees for the last 10 years of my life i'm like perfect sense and i i really want to i could unpack all of those individual topics more but yeah thank you such a pleasure to have you thank here you and- thank you for inviting me one decision away from taking your business to the next level and a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode.